episode 31 of the IntelliCast podcast brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. My name is Adam Jolly. Joining me as always is my co-host, Brian Lamar. Hey, Adam. Hey, Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, 31 podcast. We did it. Rocky Road. By the way, it's a crowded room. It's too many people in here. Um, so this is a double guest podcast. Um, a little bit later on, we'll be speaking to Bonnie Breslauer, who is the chief customer officer at Disco. And joining us now for the fourth time is uh, Vice President. Oh. And the first time was a VP at EMI, Adam Dietrich. Adam, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for, I don't want to say that was a warm reception, but probably the nicest <laughs> one I've gotten. Uh, I thought right. you were going to say, <laughs> I thought, really thought you were going to say, thank you for the promotion, Vice <laughs> President. Uh, <laughs> but that's unspoken. Gratitude, I appreciate it. No, uh, <laughs> any, uh, let's, let's go to the housekeeping first. You can reach EMI on Twitter, EMI underscore research. You can reach IntelliCast on Twitter, IntelliCast1. You can find IntelliCast via email, IntelliCast at EMI-RS.com. My own personal Twitter is Adam Jolly, all one word. Brian, your Twitter? No Twitter yet. Dietrich, you have a Twitter? I do. What is your Twitter account? It is AC Dietrich. What would I normally find there? Ooh, it is... I've really cornered the market on a combination of market research and polling tweets. Yeah. Uh, Sunderland AFC, which is a third division English soccer club. Cool. Uh, and a little, little little, bit of just general normal sports, you know? I love it. I'm really excited <laughs> to, to know more. So, Adam, we have you on the podcast today because um, you recently just completed a webinar, which will be available on demand on the EMI website. Please go to emi-rs.com for more details with that. But what was the po- what was the uh, webinar about? I almost called it a podcast. What was the webinar about? It was uh, a kind of an interesting introductory look at uh, where polling has kind of come from over the last decade or so. Uh, some of the changes that have occurred across different methodologies over the last few years since the sure. 2016 election, and kind of just the developments from the online perspective. Uh, we spent a, a little bit of time, you know, on the front end, realizing that. Researchers kind of get stuck in their own niche uh, with methodologies, right? Right. And so we kind of did a quick dive into what makes polling on phone unique, what makes polling online unique, uh, kind of the pros and cons of each side, and then uh, a little bit of time just discussing the polling conversation of today. You know, what are uh, what are people's complaints? Um, what's going well? What isn't? Um, and all just the kind of nerdy polling stuff going on uh, a couple months in front of the uh, November midterms. That's awesome news. And I know that this has kind of been a, a shift in schedule. So for me, when we started this year and we were doing our planning and we we're like, Dietrich, you're going to be on the polling like run and you're going to do a lot of like the, the mid-year type things. I think it's been a perspective switch for me and that how much we've talked about methodology change, right? And how much you've seen Everything from, like you went to APOR this year. And I know five years ago, there was probably no online research suppliers, no sample suppliers there. Everything was phone. And now yourself are there, you had other people, other panels and aggregators and polling type companies there. But then there's also that shift to where there's there's companies like the Drudge Report, like or Morning Consult, Civis, those type of things. People that are doing more polling in non-traditional ways, just a collection of data, right? Has that been a shift for you as well? It is. It, there's... There's a lot going on. It kind of feels like for polling right now is in that moment that the consumer research world was going through in like the early 2000s. When sure. They, you know, um, where mall intercepts and, and phone research 
were was starting to slowly shift to to the online side and you know you, you it, it's been interesting right because everybody has their own pace everybody has their own concerns um, and, and drawbacks and whatnot um, but in terms of of the political world going through that shift it's, it's been really interesting like you said there there are some folks that come from the the phone side who want to keep as close to that methodology as possible you know right. they're kind of the um, traditional uh, probability sample specific you know very by the book kinds of researchers um, where if they have to do something online they want to make sure that they jump through all the hoops that the sample is vetted 15 times over that we've got it matched up against voter sample or voter files um, that we're asking a million questions and things like that and on the other side you do have quite a few teams like the ones you mentioned that are kind of a, a, a pr- approaching it like right. we approach consumer sample for national brands right where they aren't as concerned about the I guess uh, checks and balances as they are about getting a big sample size and trying to get as representative as possible that way. Um, and so there's there's kind of those competing ideologies, and then there's also you know the folks that are you know going to stay with phone in perpetuity. But in general, it's uh, it's an exciting time for the polling industry. I think after 2016, I think everybody's a little gun shy about putting their their name behind stuff unless they feel really good about it. And, you know, for us in, in, in our position, it's unique because, you know, we, we, we prefer dozens more public, you know, public polls uh, going out each week. But at the end of the day, I think it's actually a really good time for, uh, for the industry because we're having the conversations that are necessary. Like you said, there wouldn't have been a single sample, online sample kind of voice in the room at a or five years ago. And now there's more. We're still in the minority, but there there are more of us. And oh, for sure. It's, it's going in the right direction, in my opinion. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, we're going to have you on probably, what, four or five dozen mm-hmm. times between now and beginning of November. I'm sure. Excited for that. Yeah. We're also, um, we're going to have a live election show. Woo! Just kind of big news. We're going to do something uh, on election night to kind of go through some things. But to tie this over from that, give me two races that you're most interested in right now for these midterms? Sure. Um, I'll give one, and then I'd like to defer to Brian oh. Brian Lamar. I know he's been uh, itching at a couple of different races. Uh, for me, the one that I think... Oh, goodness. The one that... There's a bunch, right? I mean, there are literally two dozen known races that are all tight, and that's just on the gubernatorial and, and you know Senate side. There's a couple dozen more on the on the congressional side that are of interest but for me I think a, a bellwether an interesting one kind of a, a race that'll I think be a big pointer for 2020 is the the Missouri Senate um, you have a, a, a sitting incumbent who uh, has been popular had ups and downs right. um, and the cool thing to me from a, a polling and, and market research perspective is you have really smart pollsters like disagreeing about what their right. model should be in Missouri. The same is true in Texas. The same is true in Florida. Um, you have folks with unbelievable track records, like really smart data scientists, not sure about what the electric, uh, electorate looks like state by state. Um, and that's, that, for me, as a nonpartisan bystander, uh, that's really interesting. Hey, quick follow-up. Claire McCaskill, how, how much of an impact do you think this her Supreme Court vote for Brett Kavanaugh for or against him will have on the election? Or just in general, what do you think? 
How do you have a opinion on this? There's so there is a lot of research on this, uh-huh. and the kind of left wing of the Democratic Party is very outspoken about this research right. because it shows that people really don't care as much as you'd, you'd think. Yeah. Um, there are just extremes. Ev- everybody's kind of stuck in their own. Um, in their own party, right? So we're, sure. we're, you know, so whether it's Claire McCaskill or or Ted Cruz or you know Gillum in Florida, they're all we're all competing for call it anywhere from five to twelve percent of the electorate in yeah. their state that isn't yeah. kind of entrenched, and that five to twelve percent, they kind of they're kind of split on Kavanaugh. You know, he's yeah. one of you know from a from an uh, approval rating kind of uh, perspective, he's one of the lowest rated. Um, nominees in, in a long time. I don't know how much weight you want to put into that because yeah. we all know so little. Um, but it doesn't seem like it's one of those things where if Joe Donnelly in a red state in Indiana running for re-election, if he votes against uh, against Kavanaugh, it doesn't seem like it's really going to hurt him that much. And I think yeah. the same is true sure. for McCaskill. And so I don't know when this comes out, but um, it's obviously going to be an interesting next couple of weeks uh, yeah. for the Senate Judiciary Committee. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are going to be a few thousand polls um yeah and you know political consultants are definitely going to be making their money uh earning their money over the next couple weeks uh but in general i don't i don't think it really is going to matter too much okay no no so there's my one last thing before we stop being so serious about polling um (laughs) is there we talk about like the kavanaugh issue could 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 not we don't know like is that going to affect things but how is the I guess kind of the forcing upon of socialism by the Democratic Party can affect the midterm elections, and and when can I expect capitalism to die? Well, you know, we'll be running uh, <laughs> the uh, the the Democrats will be running uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, obviously as yeah. uh, as the presidential candidate in twenty twenty. Hope you enjoy um, that color on your shirt, buddy. Yeah, about to shift to gray and brown. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's. I mean, it, that is the the one kind of interesting, frustrating thing I think for for the, both sides of the party. Yes, yeah. like I can look at that and say, okay, that's just a really liberal district in in New York. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah, really yeah. matter, right? And and we can do the comparisons. There are. Yeah. I don't even want to shine a light on it, but there are you know Republican candidates in very yeah. in very liberal oh. districts that are you know. Yeah. That are not the best of people for to represent the Republican Party, yeah. um, and I don't. I just the, it, it just stinks. The Republicans are trying to make her the face of the party, right? Just like the Democrats are trying to make some extremist Roy Jones be right. the face of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. right? Totally. And that's the that's kind of the whole job. It's kind of crazy, actually. It's when they don't really represent like normal everyday people who all kind of agree on most issues, right? Maybe right. lean one way or the other, right? For sure. Right. Yeah. Pivot. Yeah. Last week we entered, we introduced a new segment to the show that got a lot of reviews, got a lot of talk actually. Um, what is your Prince story? My Prince story. Well, or favorite Prince story. Well, one time I, when I was visiting England, I went to a, a cricket match and Prince Harry was there. Is that- <laughs> There's only one prince, and he resides oh, in Minneapolis. Okay, that hurts. Oh, Paisley Park. Okay, um, my favorite prince story. Uh, Every podcast he has a joke. I do. I do. I I come prepared, Brian. Some one of us asked him. Uh, um, my favorite prince story. Oh God, I, I mean, 
I feel like this is this is true with Burt Reynolds recently. This is true with um, a lot of the the celebrities who maybe had their prime in the '80s, '90s. Um, when they pass away, we kind of get a, a newfound appreciation for them because the stories all come out. Um, my favorite Prince story was uh, comes from Dave Grohl, who was the um, the drummer for Nirvana, and he's the front man and, and lead singer for Foo Fighters. You guys might be familiar with this. Yeah, he is the most influential person in rock and roll over the last 25 years. Okay, cool. So you've heard of him. Yep. Uh, he is, understandably, uh, a Prince-obsessed musician. Uh, Prince uh, <laughs> would uh, reach out to him from time to time, ask him to come to... Uh, to come to shows and things like that. And Dave Grohl was always convinced that he was like going to get to come out on stage and play with his idol. It never, never really happened, but they did hang out from time to time. And, um, and the, 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 the fun part of, of that story is, um, at one point someone asked Dave Grohl if he thought that, uh, that Prince was a better guitarist than him. And Prince laughed, or I'm sorry, Dave Grohl laughed it off and said, not only is Prince an exponentially better guitar player than I am, He's a better drummer than I am. And Dave Grohl was the drummer for Nirvana. And he's considered like a top, I don't know, five drummer yeah. of all time. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's really cool when you see like legends reference other legends in that kind of way, whether it's in music or sports or whatever it is. I, I, I agree. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. What a great print story. Yeah. You guys want to segment? Well, our guest coming on later in the pod I mentioned was Bonnie Breslauer of Disco. And I thought now we could do a Mount Rushmore of top disco songs. The Mount Rushmore of disco songs. I will go first, just to ease the room, ease the tension. I'll go with Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. Oh, that's a good one. I had to get one Donna Summer song because uh, I've shared this before with Prince, but my mother has like a very religious background and I remember Donna Summer was up there with Prince as like, that is sex. We don't listen to Donna Summer. Yeah. <laughs> so there you one. go. Brian, you got one? Can I give you one or all three? Uh, you can give me three. Okay. Yeah. My first one is We Are Family by Sister Sledge, who I love. And I really love it because it brings back memories of going to Kings Island and watching karaoke. And I remember a bunch of women sang this song, and I thought it was an amazing karaoke song. That's number one. Number two, Disco Duck by Rick Dees, if you remember Rick Dees. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, well, yeah. The only reason I know this is he's top of mind because Rick Dees now lives in Kentucky. He built his own golf course and. You know, people can come play golf with Rick Dees. But Disco Duck is my number two. And, of course, my number one all-time disco song, and this might get some hate, is going to be 1999 by Prince, which I am going to put in the disco category. So there. There's my three. It's not bad. I'll go. Do you have one? I actually do. I was a little a little hesitant heading into this. Um <laughs> I really love the song Ain't No Stopping Us Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a jam. It's like in the back of, I feel like it was played during the credits of every rom-com from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Oh, it's a best friend's wedding type thing for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. McFadden Whitehead, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. That's good. Uh, Funky Town by Lips oh, Inc. What a great Won't song. Won't You Take Me To? Funky Town. Um, song. And then the greatest one I'm surprised nobody has mentioned yet is I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Another great one. We never we also didn't mention any Bee Gees, which made like a <laughs> disco movie. Did you know I Will Survive was written by a man? Was it really? Yeah. It's like I, I talked about um, I Got a Man by Positive K. Uh-huh. Both of the men and female parts were sung by the man, the head rapper. Huh. And that, that'll blow your mind. That's not disco fact, but that's a fact. 
Um, it's pretty good. Oh, my favorite I Will Survive is uh, Cake did their rendition of it. Oh, <laughs> gosh, again. it's so good. Uh, remakes. So let's jump in. I love remakes. They're, hey, if it was if it was good, they wouldn't have redone it again. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that leads us into our next transition. Adam, thank you for coming on. You got the the webinar is going to be on our website, emi-rs.com. It's about polling. We'll have you on soon. We'll go over more races and, and just general policy type stuff. But thanks for coming on. Perfect. Thanks for having me, guys. Transitioning now into Bonnie Breslauer, Chief Customer Officer of Disco. Joining us now is Bonnie Breslauer, who is the Chief Customer Officer at Disco. Bonnie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, so we always start this out with like origin story and, and how did you get into the industry? So I'm sure people would love to hear your story and, and it'll, be, it'll probably provide some kind of guidance for those trying to break in. So, so what's your story? Sure, Adam. I have a story just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm happy to share a little bit about it myself and how I got into the industry. While many of you who are listening may know me as a veteran in the online space, I actually spent many years with full-service marketing research firms prior to that. Uh, I began my MR career with Merits. So it was really not easy to break in, and I thought I would share how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine worked at another division, Merits Motivation, and connected me with his manager. Uh, we spoke, and then given my interest in market research, he said he would speak with the management of their sister company, the market research division, and actually schedule an interview for me. So I was all excited. A couple of weeks went by, and of course, I didn't hear anything and, um, and was super disappointed. Uh, so I, I um, picked up the phone, didn't know him, but called the president of Merit's Marketing Research at the time, Mike Phillips, and explained the situation. I told him I was confident that it was in our best mutual interest to, at the least, have conversations and meet each other. Well, for anyone old enough to remember, salespeople in full-service market research firms didn't really sell. The model was much more client service-based. Firms responded to RFPs and bids and worked to nurture and grow their existing client base. But cold calling was not something most people did or wanted to do because they were researchers, not salespeople. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. So, so Mike was delighted that I had actually picked up the phone to call him, which was a rarity, right? Right. Uh, so, he, yeah, he connected me with the right people. We, we chatted. And I became the first account executive to join Merits um, without any research experience. Jeez, that's a great story. Yeah. So uh, that goes, you know, that's that's all history. <laughs> uh, but that's how that's how I first broke in. And then I had, you know, many successful years in full service. Uh, but I wanted to move into the online space when it was just getting started. So I had to, um, if I had to pick one thing that really opened the door for me, in terms of making that transition to online, it was my entrepreneurial spirit. I love the building stage, whether it's finding and establishing relationships with clients or even better, you know, helping to build a company from the ground up. Right. And at that point, I was really fortunate to have been connected with Barbara Hissiger, the very first CEO of Lightspeed. Um, and after talking to her and interviewing in New Jersey, my excitement was hugely apparent. I left her a voicemail um, on the day after my interview, which was a Saturday morning. So I knew I wasn't going to get her, but I just felt like I wanted her to know how I was feeling. And I knew this was right for us. 
And I expressed that on my voicemail message. And that said, I joined Lightspeed in early 2001 to commercialize the business and enjoyed 16 years there. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. So thank you. So fast forward to the present, right? Um, I just had my one year anniversary with Disco, which was formerly known as Active Measure. And in making this change, I really followed my heart. My passion for true research panels and quality are perfectly aligned with Disco's mission. And I was super impressed with Disco's technology. I, I really wanted to be with a company that's on the, the cutting edge. Right. So that's my story um, in a nutshell. Uh, but I just thought I would, you know, add a couple of comments because I know you had mentioned that some people listening to this might be trying to break into the industry or make some kind of change. Um, and I just thought I would suggest for those who are in that situation to follow your passion, reach out to people, whether you know them or not. Uh, we are a great industry and people will, will help. Um, but you have to take the first step and can't sit back and wait. And I think for me, above all else, you know, I learned to pick up the phone. And if you don't catch the person live, you know, just leave a voicemail and, and, and be persistent. And I know this is really obvious and we all talk about this, you know, so much. But in this day of, you know, where we're all communicating so much through email and social media, it's just really easy to fall into that mode. Or should I say that that trap? Um, so that's that's what worked for me. That's huge. I I would have no like like someone calling. You didn't call one. You called two presidents of giant market research firms to get. I, that's just huge. That's that's great advice. That persistence and and I know people will appreciate that perspective and that type of advice. The um, chief topic yeah. now is stay more into the present. So so disco just Adam, announced. I also called Bill Gates one time too. <laughs> Oh just keep going. Call high. Say hi. <laughs> okay. right? But that, that's another story for another time. But I, I oh, did call cool. his office and um, got a meeting out of it. I didn't speak to him, but that was that's for another day. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so so you mentioned at the end, you know, you're at Disco now and, and Disco just announced it's rebranding, going from Active Measure to Disco. Uh, can you tell me about Disco? What does Disco stand for and kind of what's on the horizon for the company? Oh, sure. I'm really happy to talk about that. Um, yeah, so as you know, we rebranded from Active Measure uh, to Disco, and we did that in early August, and we are super excited. There's just so much enthusiasm and energy energy around our company. We've received terrific reception from our clients and the industry, and we're experiencing tremendous momentum as we continue to build on our growth. So to answer your question, why the name change? Uh, as our company continues to grow and evolve, we want our brand to capture the essence of what we do today and carry us forward into the future as we build and launch new products and solution and solutions. So DISCO stands for Discover. Our goal is to provide quality data and innovative solutions to help our clients discover the most complete view of the consumer. Of course, our new name has also created a lot of um, vivacity and fun, both for our staff and our clients. I know that the team at EMI actually played disco music in our honor when our announcement first came That's out. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, but on this more serious note, for those who may not be familiar with disco, our consumer research panel is our core asset and will remain the foundation for disco. From the inception of our company, we set out to create a direct, first-party relationship with our panelists to have them share information with us. 
Opinion data remains vitally important. Understanding the consumer's mindset leads to insights that contribute to actionable and impactful business decisions. We've really focused on providing the highest quality, quantitative and qualitative data available in the industry. Um, we really do have a great reputation for quality and we've earned the trust of our clients who are among the most demanding and savvy. The size of our panels grown exponentially and that won't stop. We're continuing to invest in and scale our panel and to support our clients research not only today, but in perpetuity. We've also found that our panelists who are very engaged and responsive are well suited to participate in qualitative research. So as a result, we're building out capabilities in the qual space to streamline the process and make it much easier for our clients to recruit and set up qual activities. This also gives our panelists the opportunity to participate in online qualitative, such as bulletin boards and focus groups, and even more traditional in-person qualitative. We've received great feedback from our panelists that they enjoy these types of activities. And I think overall, qual is making you know, a huge, a huge comeback. We see a lot of activity in that space. So as a logical extension of our panel, we're also developing mobile capabilities to reach and survey consumers in the moment as they shop or buy in store. You'll hear more about that from us in the new year. That's great. And we're really excited about our unique behavioral solutions. We can observe consumers' complete digital behavior by tapping into our proprietary 100% permission-based panel driven by our innovative technology. Our unique data set allows us to observe and track any online activity across the web, such as consumers' path to purchase. Now, getting back to your question, Adam, about our name change, yeah. Disco is spelled with a Q to represent our commitment to quality. Anyone who knows us knows that quality is at our core and that we've taken it to an unsurpassed level. Right from the beginning, respect for the panelists and creating a consumer-centric environment has been a core value. It's the key driver of our success in building a diverse and responsive research community. We've also developed proprietary tools to, to validate panelists' identities and to detect and manage fraud. As we scale our panel and expand our capabilities, we'll continue to focus on data quality. That's really something that we'll never waver from. Quality is truly what Disco is all about. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I thought I would talk a little bit um, just about the industry on the, on the quality note. When, when we talk to clients and attend in industry events and conferences, there's always discussion. I know you guys have been there, you know, for a lot of them as well. Um, so there's discussion or actually overarching concern about data quality. Right. Yeah. Right. Disco's taking um, a really aggressive stance and is working hard to make a difference, not just through our own panel and solutions, but across the industry at large. So one of the initiatives we're involved in is CASE, uh, right. which stands for the Coalition of Advanced Sampling Excellence. And you guys are, are familiar with yes. that because you've been at the meetings. Yeah, it, it's super exciting. I mean, it's um, it's something that I think we've tried in the past, but this seems to have one of the most tractions of any type of these, you know, coalition types. Yeah, I think we've all been been down this road before. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there's a, you know, there's a, 
you know, a new enthusiasm. We have a lot of people, you know, at the table. So for those who, you know, aren't familiar, CASE was formed through active discussions um, between Mary Beth Weber, formerly of Sigma Validation, and corporate buyers who shared their concerns and frustration regarding data quality. Uh, The group grew to include a cross-section of leaders representing corporate buyers, MR agencies, and sample providers. So Adam and I were just talking about there there was a meeting in New York City um, in March of about 60 of us to share perspectives and discuss the best way forward um, to address data quality. And we heard very loud and clear that corporate buyers want to make sure that they are making the right decisions based on their data. They don't want to wonder or worry that it's right. In addition to being accurate, data needs to be representative of their target audience and reliable, meaning repeatable. Uh, So this is what we heard. And I think, you know, we're continuing to hear um, from the corporate clients. I think we're familiar. Many of us are familiar with the GRIT report that was um, released in May of this year, which also highlighted concerns. 39% of researchers uh, said they expect quality to worsen versus just 19% expecting it to get better, which is down from from what was reported in 2017. And if you read the verbatim comments, you can really sense the frustration. I I didn't want to spend time on those today, um, but I recommend going in and looking at that grit report. Uh, again, this isn't new news, but there's heightened attention, you know, on the issue. Yeah, you know, that's true. I mean, and I think just the fact that you have things like case stepping up and even I know you were involved in uh, sample con for years and, and what they're doing yeah. to try to fix things forever. It was always like, yeah, there's quality concerns, but we're okay with it because of what we can do with price and scalability with online. And so things like that are huge. And I know that disco is, is doing a huge steps to trying to do more sample quality initiatives. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. I mean, the sample landscape has really evolved and changed over the years and we're at a different place um, than we used to be. So, you know, at Disco, we know we can't solve, and there's a lot of good that's come out of it, but I think, you know, we're all looking at at data quality and and trying to solve um, for it and raise that bar. And I know for us at Disco, we, we can't solve poor data quality for the industry unilaterally, right. but we're definitely raising the bar through our proprietary panel and are striving to make a difference by participating, you know, in these initiatives and, and really by being, you know, evangelists. Ah, oh, I love oh. that last word. That was great. I'm trying to be evangelists of, of data quality. That's, that's awesome yeah. to hear. Um, so I know... One of the things with the name change comes that there was the announcement that Disco is raised some capital. So, so what can you tell us about that? What are your plans with the capital? Oh, sure. Have to address that. Yes, Disco raised thirteen and a half million in an investment round. We're investing in R and D as we add capabilities and build new products, which I just talked about. Um, we're also using the funding to hire more staff throughout our business. For example, we're expanding our sales and client service team, and we're adding more software engineers and developers as we speak. We're up to about 65 employees now. Wow. Uh, but if, yeah, if I did this podcast next month or even next week, the number would be higher. Jeez, that's great growth. Yeah. Uh, it's a really exciting time, you know, to be, to be at Disco doing a growing company. You have some initiatives. Um, 
it's just kind of a breath of fresh air in this industry that sometimes we kind of get kind of lost in the muck. But uh, we really appreciate your time today, Bonnie. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Oh, thank you. I, I just want to thank you, um, and, and I, and EMI, for inviting me to do this podcast. I appreciate the opportunity to tell your listeners about Disco, talk a little bit about myself, um, but more importantly about Disco and where we're headed. Um, and I know I've only touched the surface, so if anybody would like more information, they could contact me directly or through contact at disco.com. So thanks again. No, nah, thank you, Bonnie. You're somebody that, um, well, I haven't known like directly interacted with for years i've been in the industry for 11 years and you've been in my atmosphere and just somebody that I've always looked for as a thought leader um no matter where you're in the industry i can always bet on bonnie that she's going down the right road and leading the industry so just thank you for that and all the things that you're doing at disco right now oh that's so nice thank you so much adam thanks bonnie thank you bonnie uh, as Bonnie mentioned, there's numerous ways to get a hold of Disco. Follow them on Twitter. Follow them um, email. Just some great folks. Like there's one thing when when Active Measure started, they really grabbed like the best that was out there, and um, just great people that I've had connections with for over ten years, and Bonnie included in that. Um, just a great company, and really appreciate what they're doing. To when they're, I think when you're starting, it's really easy to play it safe because you're trying to build market share. But to go out and like stand for something, be on case, be on these quality initiatives is is really new and kind of a breath of fresh air and uh, really appreciate what Bonnie's doing. Um, I'm still here with Adam. Hey. (laughs) Uh, We're closing up the podcast. And one of the notes that we got from last podcast uh, from J.D. Deach, who asked for a Macho Man Savage impersonation. I don't know why you're looking at me. This is you. Do you do any Macho Man voices? I hate to tell you this, but you're a bit older than me, and he's a little bit more your time than mine. Do you do any wrestling impersonations? Not since fifth grade, no. All right. So I'll be reading – this might be a new segment along with the print stories. I will be reading a transcript of a promotional that Randy Savage did before WrestleMania V, his match with Hulk Hogan. I will be reading – I will be reading the end because I think it's the best. <laughs> Let me get into character. Okay. Here we go. Uh, you know what? I'm going to read the beginning because it starts off soft and I like to start off soft. I'll read the first two paragraphs of what looks to be a 15-minute speech. <clears throat> Here we go. Macho Man. Oh, yeah, Kogan. I remember we back when when the mega powers were bonded. Yeah. You made a lot of promises to the Macho Man, didn't you? Promises that you couldn't keep. I remember one Pacific one year, you promised that Elizabeth would never be in the dangerous position. Yeah, you broke that promise, didn't you, Hogan? And that's the end. Elizabeth! Elizabeth. He never says Elizabeth. He always says Elizabeth. And we have an intern that's here with us for the fall, whose name's Elizabeth. Only calling her Elizabeth the rest of the time. It's It's got a, uh, a certain Rocky kind of vibe to it. Yeah, set the stage. Adrian! <laughs> they were the mega powers, and the Macho Man was not yet engaged to Miss Elizabeth. They were just lovers and living in sin. And then they, uh, um, Hulk Hogan kind of loved them. And there was a, there's a part where, where Macho Man says, You got lust in your eyes! It's pretty good. Your impression is pretty solid. I'm, I'm impressed. I appreciate it. Um, 
You want to give one more plug, one last plug for the webinar? Yeah, sure. Check it out. It's about 25, 30 minutes long. It's about polling, the history of it, methodologies, online, in phone, conversation, struggles, uh, pros and cons of each one, kind of an update snapshot of what's going on right now and some of the changes that are coming along from the online side. It's available on the website at emi-rs.com. Awesome. Um, also coming up, uh, by the time this gets out, we'll be waiting for Brandemonium here in Cincinnati in October. Um, should be a great conference. We've got Sarah Getz going to that. We have the CRC in Orlando. Tony Brown will be attending that one as well. And uh, some more conferences on the horizon. I know we're, um, I'm at, me and Brian are at the AMA on September 21st. Um, if you're there or if this is in back in the past, just know that the conference went great and you should have come. Uh, without any further ado, thanks again for joining us on episode 31 of IntelliCast and we look forward to checking you out next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>